good stuff. I heard moody teenagers. I heard psycho teenagers. Uh, but you, you've helped them turn out a whole lot better than it could have been. So uh, it, it's a blessing to see um, young people that uh, otherwise the world would get their hands on and that uh, we've been able to kind of steer them. And, and, and not, uh, uh, ATG, by the way, stands for against the grain. So if you, what is ATG? It was mentioned by a couple of kids in there, but um, uh, that's what it stands for. It's been our youth group uh, since the early 2000s, and Scott and Julie took it over in 2007. And uh, ultimately, we need the parents to do their jobs, but uh, we come alongside the parents, and you guys have done a fantastic job. And we just want to say thank you. If you guys would come up, we have something for you. Uh, Dr. Russ, you can bring that over. Take that, and a little little getaway in the bag for you guys. So thank you for all of those years. I appreciate it. They're not going anywhere. I'm just going to give Scott a harder job now. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out what that is. We got other people that need help in other brackets. Uh, so and then where's Randy or Tasha? Either one or either of them in here? Can, this is for them. You can get. You don't even have to get them, but you can go take this to them because Tasha will be really glad. She, she didn't even say a word. She let Randy do all the talking there. But um, give them a hand anyway. For, um. Because they are taking over uh, the, uh, the high school teens. I mean, Montel and Liz still lead the middle school group because we used to not have a middle school group. Now we have a middle school group and a high school group. Uh, and they are, are divided. Um, I was, I was uh, thinking when they were talking about the, the teenagers moody or psycho and stuff, I, my girls, and I've told this story a bunch of times, I was on vacation a couple years back and I'm walking uh, and I walked by, I was, we we're at the beach, and I walked by a brother and sister, they were college age. And you ever how you just overhear people's conversations? Well, they were talking so loud because they were intense and I heard the one sister say to her brother, and I knew they were talking about a younger sibling, she goes, well, I too was once an insufferable 17-year-old. And now they had, they were all grown up to like 21 and 22, talking about an insufferable 17-year-old. <clears throat> but uh, we're, we're teaching them to be servants of Jesus. So thank you for all of that. Uh, I have a couple more quick thank yous, and we'll get into the word, and we're going to pray over the kids in just a second. Uh, so a couple more thank yous to the Guatemala team. You guys came back when I was out. Thank you for doing an amazing job there in Guatemala. <clears throat> and, uh, the, the, video, the video that was done, um, great job on that. You did a great job on the video. I, I thought Randy West had done it, but uh, phenomenal job there. So uh, one of the teens did the video. So great job. And uh, just to, I look forward to We're going to have a night where they're going to share some testimonies about all the Lord did probably on a Wednesday in September. But uh, uh, great work of the Lord, seeds planted there. And I also wanted to say thank you. While I was out for three weeks, uh, we had three different gentlemen that shared on Sundays and one on a Wednesday night. So uh, for Trevor and Tawan and Tito, it was almost all T's, but Mark, you broke the streak at the end there. Uh, Tito, Tawan, Trevor, Mark, 
But uh, I, went, I, I took the time to listen to all four messages. I was blessed tremendously by all four messages. I mean, Tawan, you just laid it all out there with your heart and soul that night. And the, Tito let it rip like he always does. And, uh, and, and I love that brother, too. And then Trevor on the Ten Commandments. And Mark, I love the word on uh, just God's will. I just uh, All four of the messages were a blessing to me. I sat under some other teaching, whether it was Pastor Troy up in Lynchburg or Loran down in uh, uh, Charlotte and different places, but uh, was blessed by uh, taking the time to go back and while I did a workout, caught all four of these, and just it was a blessing. So thank you guys for sharing, and I know that the people were ministered to. And then we have, because we have the back-to-school uh, throwback fried chicken thing after, but we also have kids headed back to school, and I know some have already started back to school, and the college kids are back in. We moved two of our daughters back into dorms and apartments uh, while I was out. So if the kids can come on up, we're going to pray over these kids that are headed back to school or are they already back to school that the God would bless their school year and God would help their parents <laughs> some parents are like no I'm, I, I'm better they're back uh, someone else is taking care of them but uh, we have some of you that send them to school some are home school uh, but um, some are private schools but at any rate they all need God's help and protection you know we live in a country that is try to destroy our kids and we're going to stand in the gap for them amen thank you so and and i'm really appreciative you know jason and melissa up here they took over the children's ministry uh in january so they took over this ministry and god has uh, just given them a heart to shepherd this and I, and if you didn't know uh jason lost his mom this week uh suddenly they had to fly back to california sarah and i we're coming back from Lynchburg. We zipped over to their house. We were able to pray with them before they flew uh, on Sunday. Uh, no, Monday, early Monday morning, 6.30 in the morning. They were out in California, and that, that was rather, rather sudden. You know, so uh, I think your mom was, what, 70? So only 70 years of age. I used to think that was really old, but not so much anymore. Uh, and uh, so be praying for Jason and Melissa as well, and I'm going to pray for them while we pray for the kids. And we're also, I'm going to do all of this in one. We're also going to pray for revival. So, uh, because revival involves these little ones, involves people up to Bob Barker's age, who just went uh, uh, 99 years of age, who just uh, just uh, passed away, what, just a couple of days ago or something. So, um, some people, young people are like, who's Bob Barker? You know, all the other people are like, you don't know who that is? But we want to pray for all of these things. We're going to pray for the kids. We're going to pray for Jason and Melissa who's just lost his uh, mother and her, his brother, by the way, went to Calvary Chapel Chino Hills on Wednesday nights with them. So they've been praying his brother would go to church. So that's, that was uh, an answer to prayer. So God uses even the worst of situations to bring people to himself. And so some of you I know have gone through serious losses in this uh, body as well. So you can relate to that. But let's pray for these kids. We pray for revival. You don't have to get on your knees. It's really crowded on the service anyway, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can bring these young people to you. Thank you for how you've used uh, Scott and Julie over the years, how you're already using Randy and Tasha, how you're continuing to use Jason and Melissa, Lord, with um, the children's ministry. And Lord, we pray for every single one of these kids that are lined up here, those who might be at home on vacation or sick or uh, just not here today, those that are not represented, Lord, we pray for these young people that just like the testimonies that we just saw, that they would grow in their love for you, 
that, Lord, they'd say no to the things of this world, no to the, uh, the flesh, and, Lord, say yes to Jesus. And, Lord, not just say yes to him. And we've seen some of these in just the last two years accept you as their Lord and Savior. We pray that they would not have a testimony of all kinds of grotesque things that they were once in, but they would follow you all the days of their lives. We pray that you bless their school year. Give them, uh, Lord, sharp minds with the studies they'll be learning. Help them to overcome challenges. We pray that you keep them safe, whether it's on bus routes, playing sports, recess, cafeteria food, whatever it may be, Lord. We pray that uh, you would uh, just bless them, keep them, protect them, help their parents, uh, give the families rest and wisdom. Uh, I pray for Jason and Melissa, Lord, that you would just comfort them with the loss of his mother. And Lord, others in here that may have lost someone that I didn't even know about in the last three weeks, Lord, we pray that you would comfort those that are hurting. We continue to pray for our nation, Lord. Uh, we are uh, desiring to see, Lord, uh, many saved. And Lord, we know we have a country that has forsaken you for the idols of this world and just the pride and the arrogance that we see in so many spheres of our nation, Lord. We pray that you'd open eyes and bring our country to a place of repentance that would happen in the churches of America, in the pulpits of America. And Lord, we pray that uh, for the nation of Haiti, uh, Lord, we've been praying for one nation every week and this little island nation in the Caribbean that is so poor. Uh, Lord, we pray that many there would come to know you as Lord and Savior. You just do a, a refreshing of the entire uh, nation of Haiti, Lord, and that island, Lord, that many would come to Christ and turn from false religions or violence and all the things that are taking place there. And Lord, we ask this in our own nation and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Say goodbye to the kids. They're going to go get age-appropriate teaching. They cute. <laughs> then they'll become 17. And, and their parents and older siblings will be complaining about them. And they come through that and they're awesome again. You know, it's just it's a process. All right. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. But turn with me to Psalm chapter 73. Uh, starting next week, we'll jump right back into the book of Acts. But uh, with... Um, with this, actually, the Lord had put this message on my heart to share. I had shared it first um, back in April uh, up in Northern Virginia at City Gates Church, and I already apologized to Phil and to Nettie, who Phil was up there doing worship at where because him and Becky came from City Gates Church, and so I was filled in for Pastor Jeff, and I shared this message there, and so I apologized to you both for hearing it again. And Nettie and Anthony came up. To be the Amen Corner, that was really nice of them, and they heard it. Pastor Trevor was with me. I wanted to, wanted him to see how they operate there at City Gates Church. He's always learning some things, so they all heard it, but they get to hear it again. Uh, I hope, promise it won't be the exact same every single time. But, but I, I had never done this before. I had Lord put on my heart a couple weeks ago to share it again, and then this week when I came down with a cold, I was really glad because uh, my chest was all congested and everything. I'm like. Uh, I didn't have the energy, so the Lord's like, look, I gave you Psalm 73, just do it. So that's what I'm doing this morning. So turn with me to Psalm 73. I don't have time to read the entire chapter, so you're going to have to read the rest of it on your own, and maybe many of you have read Psalm 73 before. Uh, I've taught through many of the Psalms, but I've never really shared a message from this Psalm until I did it in Northern Virginia back in April, and I'll do it again this morning. 
Uh, we'll read various verses. Just follow along with me, starting in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel. To such as are pure in heart. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Drop down to verse uh, 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. In other words, if he says, if I would have given in to what I was seeing and started to speak like the world, then I would have been untrue. But he goes on to say, when I thought how to understand this, in other words, what he was seeing in the the seeming success of the world, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Down to verse 22. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Final verse, verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the time we've already had worshiping, reflecting, praying, and now, Lord, as we open your word, may it be sharp, may it be powerful, may it be effective. Lord, I pray for your anointing, your help, your strength. Speak to each heart, each person, those that are watching online, those that are outside in the fellowship hall, those that are in this sanctuary. Lord, speak to me. Lord, all of us need to hear from you, Jesus, by your spirit. And may we be those that are not just hearers, but doers of your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Almost, it's a two-syllable word that can reflect a wide range of situations and outcomes. A word we can all relate to in various aspects of our life. It's possible, if not probable, that someone in this room or out there in the fellowship hall almost didn't come today. Matter of fact, at the first service, someone came to me and said, that was me, I almost didn't come There might be one person here that had an internal debate. Okay, I'll go. I'll probably need the worship anyway. The worship will be good for me. Pastor Tim's out of town anyway. I'll get to hear one of these other guys. Only to find out that I'm back and you're stuck with me. Or to disappoint you. But as I mentioned earlier, if you missed any of the messages the previous three weeks, go back and listen to them. The Holy Spirit really spoke through each of these men. And again... Uh, if you're almost, if you almost didn't come today, Lord willing, you're almost is right on time that you are here. But the word almost, it can represent something unimportant, something frustrating, something urgent, something pressing, to name a few. One that's unimportant. You ever been to dinner, out to dinner, at dinner with a group of people, and everyone orders dessert? Everyone looks at the dessert menu. I choose this, I choose this, I really want all of them, but i got to narrow it down. 
And then the desserts come out, and the one you didn't pick, and wish you did, you then say, I almost got that. <laughs> and they're not going to give you theirs. You had a choice. By the way, football season's back. You ladies know this. The men are, they'll, they'll be mad about it in midseason like me, but uh, they're, they're happy about it now. But some of the men here, and maybe some of the ladies, if you're as big a football fan as my mother-in-law, but uh, some of the men here have probably told the same story dozens of times about how their team almost won. That late flag, that dropped pass, that missed kick, that referee, almost. Before I went into full-time ministry, uh, you guys know I used to be in big tech and the business world and spent 17 years in that arena. I used to be in the DC, Washington, D.C. area quite a bit. And I had a frequently not-so-unique experience. If you live in Northern Virginia or you go up there, you know how this is. I had the not-so-unique experience of almost getting to the Springfield Bowl at times, almost getting to it, which is where I-95 and the Beltway meet there in Northern Virginia, only to be 15 minutes too late. And 15 minutes is a game changer up there because uh, there's this window. So for the next 90 minutes, I knew, moving one foot per minute, staring at the back of a rear bumper that I was going to be learning where this person in front of me went to college that they ran a half marathon, where their kids go to college, that they love the Outer Banks, and various other things that are all plastered on the back that I get to learn as I'm sitting there watching. We've all been there. Some almost moments can be the difference between life and death. We all remember where we were at on 9-11. Well, not some of you young kids, but most of your adulthood, you remember where you were at on 9-11. I was in Cincinnati on a business trip. I'd flown up there from Charlotte. I was speaking at a downtown, downtown hotel in Cincinnati when the Twin Towers were struck. I'll never forget. We took, we took a small break. God's just, God just emphasizing for you. I'm not, I don't know where that came from. But I'd flown there, and we almost got stuck. As you know, all the planes were grounded. Every plane was grounded within like 90 minutes or so. But I had a rental car because I was supposed to drive to Chicago after Cincinnati, and instead I took the rental car back to Charlotte, North Carolina, which where we were living at the time. I had an atheist coworker with me. He got a lot of the gospel for nine hours. <laughs> I ended up taking a job in Richmond. I ended up leaving Charlotte, eventually coming here to Richmond, not knowing I'd go into full-time ministry. I ended up coming here. And when I got to Richmond with the job transfer, I'd go to D.C. on a regular basis. We had offices in Reston and, and, and Northern Virginia and then up in D.C. So I was going to D.C. a lot. And I remember uh, seeing all the construction. I know, Phil, you probably saw this. All the construction was taking place on the Pentagon. It was a long time. They had these big tarps out there and all kinds of things. And I would cut around the Pentagon and I'd cut over the Potomac and through Georgetown to get to one of the offices. But in the days after 9-11 which is actually coming up just in a couple of weeks, right? So we've got 9-11 right around the corner. Um, we would hear the stories of people who were almost on the planes. They were almost in one of the towers. They were almost in the Pentagon. But instead, a sick child or a dead battery or an alarm clock that didn't go off were blessings in disguise. Normally you complain about those things, right? That day, they're like, man, I'm glad all those things went wrong. 
Maybe you had a time where you almost took a risk. I wish you had. You almost called a friend or a relative at a critical moment, but you regret that you didn't. By the way, God can still smooth those things over. Amen? These are common experiences we can all relate to. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, What is Your Almost? And from the scriptures, I want to speak to those who are in Christ and those wondering about Christ. Possibly you're here this morning and you are almost ready to take a step backwards. You're almost ready to kind of give up on Jesus. You're trying to live in obedience to the Lord. But your life's not getting easier. In fact, it's gotten harder. And it seems like the world, without Christ, has it far more carefree than you do. Second group, conceivably here this morning, perhaps a few that you've heard the gospel. You've come here, you've come somewhere. And you've considered what the scriptures have to say about Jesus, about sin, about salvation. Maybe you've heard me or you've heard other pastors Invite people to give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And you've almost done it. Almost. You've almost been convinced that, that you need to come to Jesus. There are numerous almost scenarios that I'm not addressing this morning. Lots of them. But here's the great thing about the Holy Spirit and the living God. He will address specific to your individual heart, whether you're online, whether you're out there, whether you're in here, he'll address to your specific heart what you need to hear. And likewise, he'll multiply well beyond the areas that I prepared to speak on here this morning. But in any of the almost scenarios of life, the important ones, at least the important ones I'm speaking of here, there will be, you can count on it, there will be an adversary to derail you, and praise God, there'll be an advocate to direct you. If you look to Jesus and you look to his word. Back to Psalm 73. Look back at verses 1 and 2. Uh, it kind of sets the stage of what the entire chapter is about. Truly God is good to Israel. Truly God's good to America too, by the way. Two such as are pure in heart. But here's the clincher in verse 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The context of Psalm 73 is that of a man, Asaph, who is faithfully living his life for the Lord. He's not perfect. Nor was Job, nor was Paul, nor was David, nor was Moses or Abraham. But this is a man that was faithfully living his life for the Lord. But he notices that in his life, and in other people that he knew were desiring to serve God with their lives, he's seen this steady stream of difficulties. Buffeting. Disappointments. Trials. But then he looks over the fence, if you will, to the lives of those that are ignoring God, that use God's name as a swear word, that don't really have any time for the Lord, don't even have a notion or care of God whatsoever. And he's like, they're living the life. They're getting job promotions. 
Their vacations are epic. They have lots of friends. Everyone wants to be their friend. Their kids are excelling way more than your kids are excelling. Their kids win every sports trophy. Their bank accounts are growing. Their social media posts make your life look boring. Their health is great. They didn't have all this stuff back then. You, you know what I mean. I'm contemporizing this, right? right, right. But that's what Asaph's seen. And the writer, he had become envious, at least in a moment, he had become envious of their lives. Envious of those that boasted of their success. Jealous of those that seemed to not have a care in the world or no notion of God whatsoever. And that is a lot of our country now. And he was wondering to himself, am I just wasting my life trying to live for God? He almost threw in the towel, the old, if you can't beat them, join them mentality. His attitude was causing him to doubt the promises of God. Have you ever doubted the promises of God? I have, at least momentarily. He began to doubt the promises of God. He had become a little bit dissatisfied with the life God had given him through grace and forgiveness. A little dissatisfied. And maybe that's someone here today. Maybe that's someone watching online. You've begun to look longingly at a world that doesn't know Christ. They're not ready for eternity. And yet you wish you had what they have. You know, John Jacob Astor was on the Titanic. He was one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time. The Waldorf Astoria today it still bears that family name. And it doesn't matter if you're not ready for eternity, it doesn't matter if you have billions or millions or a whole bunch of other stuff. But they're not ready for eternity. Maybe you wish you had what they have. Maybe not their entire life, but just a little more of their life. And a little less of the one the Lord's given you. We kind of play mental games like God can't hear our mental games, right? Like we didn't, he didn't hear every little nuance we had. And understand it in depth more than we even understand our own dumb thoughts. But that's what the adversary seeks to do. is to shift your focus from faith to frustration. From faith to feelings. From contentment to coveting. Contentment to coveting. When we remember that we're covered by the blood of Jesus and we've been granted real life, I mean real life, eternal life in him. When we remember that, it brings a contentment that's actually a shield to our flesh that covets temporal things rather than eternal things. I can give you proof. Does my flesh cover temporal thing? Do I really have an area that my flesh is strong? Let me use a cookie as an analysis, as an example here. You said you were going to have one, four cookies later. That's your flesh. It's strong. It wants what it wants. One bowl of ice cream becomes three. 
<laughs> but it's, it's in small doses. It's one scoop at a time. It really isn't three because I didn't fill it up twice or three times. It happened about 30 times in small, one spoon at a time. That's our flesh. But we can have a contentment that can only come from Lord. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. The word godliness, you've probably heard the word lots of times, but in the Greek, in the New Testament, what it means is reverence and respect towards God. You will not have reverence and respect towards God until he's made you godly. But then that reverence and respect, it becomes part of it. And we, we actually grow in it over the course of our lifetime. That's the work of sanctification. And Jesus is the source of godliness in us as we abide in him. We covered this uh, several months back in John 15. We're told to abide in him. We'll bear much fruit. We can't even do anything unless we abide in him. But understand that contentment and trust, they go hand in hand. You might have saw in the passage, it talks about trust in this passage in Psalm 73. Near the end of the chapter, he talks about trust, trusting the Lord. But they go hand in hand. If we're content with what God has given us and how he has made us and the path that he's placed us on, and we trust him, then we actually experience contentment that Paul's talking about, which is great gain. It's an amazing thing when you're really content and you really, if somebody can't really entice you with, I have more. I have this. And you can say, that's great. I have Jesus. Can you top that? <laughs> Apparently you can't. Then, as we trust what he's allowed in our lives, we trust him to mature us. And as we trust in him and as we're content him, in him, then we are like those sheep that are mentioned in Psalm chapter 23 that are lying down and are content and are at peace. We have a nation that's robbed of peace. We have a church that's robbed of peace. I am many times robbed of peace. How about you? And when it is, it's we're not abiding in the Lord. We're not resting in Him. We're not seeing the spiritual as far greater than the temporal. But discontent, we, Jesus will bring a contentment of peace. Discontent is destroying our nation. Do you agree with that? Yes. Discontent is destroying our country. It's destroying families. It's destroying so many aspects of our society. Total discontent. And as believers, we're not immune. Asaph wasn't immune. This was a godly man. I would argue, I told the first service, I would argue that Asaph was more godly than everyone in this room. He wrote, a, he wrote part of the Bible. You and I did not. That's kind of a proof point, right? That God would actually, you know, that, that God would give him, you're going to actually be the author of one of these, at least verbally, whether he wrote it or not, but at least was the verbal author, if, not, if nothing less. But I would argue that he was a, a man that was really, uh, when we get to heaven, say, wow, Asaph really was a godly man. And yet, our flesh is this strong. Even after salvation, we can uh, be walking strong in the Lord, walking in the Lord, even abiding in the Lord, and still have a lapse 
of sound judgment where we kind of glance over to the world on a bad day and think, must be nice. I wish I had their life. Now, we don't say it that way. We just wish it that way, if that makes sense. But the Lord loves us enough to protect us and to correct us. Because his sheep hear his voice. Amen? His sheep hear his voice. And Asaph does indeed hear the voice of the Lord here. And where and when does he hear the voice of the Lord? Look back in the text. It says in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, because he was quite vexed about his life compared to their life, it was too painful for me. In verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Now, we know that Asaph went into a literal sanctuary. He had the temple. It was still there. He went into the literal temple. We go into this church building, but we also go into the sanctuary of God in our prayer life. But he really did go into a real building. And it was when he went into the sanctuary that he saw what God wanted to see. And I love this description from Clovis Chappelle. I put it up on the screen. It's in his book in the sermons, um, sermons from the Psalms. And this is what he said. He said, what then did the psalmist do? Because he was just so distraught and vexed with the condition of him versus what he was seeing. The answer to some will seem perfectly childish. He went to church. Just what others got out of this service, we are not told. But the psalmist came into possession of certain gripping convictions that steadied him and enabled him to walk in the days after with a firmness and assurance. Don't you want that? A firmness and assurance. For God to help you see, whenever a situation you're not seeing it right, say, God, show it to me the way you want me to see it and understand it. It settles us. It steadies us. Here's the thing. Doubt your doubts. Don't doubt the Lord. Go to church when you do not feel like it. God's going to speak to you probably even more at those times. Open your Bible when you don't feel like it. Well, I only have like 15 minutes. Better than none. Jesus will refresh and fill you. By the way, I was, I was reading this, and I was talking in the first service, and I said, hold on, my notes sound like Tito's notes, but I wrote these notes before Tito actually wrote his. So I did not know what he, he actually said, some of these same things. I was listening to him, and I was like, Riding down the road, listening to him, I'm like, hold on, Tito, that's in my notes. <laughs> but God, maybe God wants you to hear it twice. But it's the same with prayer. It's the same with fellowship. It doesn't matter when you feel like it. God says, do it and let me work through it. If you notice, and you will, if you notice it right now, if you notice discontent in your heart, covetousness, complaining, apathy, self-pity, anything that you know, anger, bitterness, anything that you know is contrary to what Christ and the Scriptures are saying to us, you're going to have to preach to yourself and confess it. Say, Lord, I am sorry. God already knows. It's not like you're going to reveal something to him. 
But Lord, I'm sorry, this attitude of mine is really not good. And God was like, I was hoping you'd come to that conclusion. I'm in full agreement. Have been since the moment you started getting off track. Tito talked about that too, preaching to yourself. But you've got to confess it to the Lord. But we have an advocate. You have an advocate with the Father, according to 1 John uh, 2, 1. Jesus, it doesn't matter if you have sin, you can confess it, and he will deal with it, and he will redeem and cleanse. But we have an advocate that is infinitely greater than our adversary. Isn't that good to know? Yes, amen. I mean, we have an adversary that like, seems like he's gaining ground in every corner of society, but he can't make an inch of a move on us. But he's infinitely greater than the natural affections of our flesh. I love this passage in Jude one twenty four. I remember when I first got saved, I read this a thousand times. I felt like, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, because we're not faultless, by the way, right? But he'll present us faultless because he presents us in Christ, the righteousness of Christ, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Who doesn't want exceeding joy? You can't buy exceeding joy. You, I don't care if you have the America's Best Black card. You can't buy exceeding joy. That's only, you know, they only give the Amex Black card to millionaires that have a certain amount of money. You can't ask for it. They come find you. They're the big, they're the big shots, right? But you can't buy joy with that card. And you can't keep from stumbling. Jesus is the one that keeps us from stumbling. Otherwise, your life would be one giant stumble. And the Lord, he doesn't almost keep us. He always keeps us. If you belong to him. If you are trusting in him. And say, Lord, I want to grow and trust in you. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In Psalm 26, 1, it says, I have also trust in the Lord. I shall not slip. I woke up at 3 in the morning. My voice was way worse than it is right now. I was like, Lord, is this going to work? And I felt like I could say, do you trust me? Go back to sleep. You know, you're going to, whatever you have in life, God is going to say, you're going to have to trust me. Yes. You don't got this, but God has it, right? right, right, right. Now everybody says this now. You got this, you got this. Like, would you stop with that? <laughs> we don't got this. God. That's right. Like everyone says this now. God's like, that's your problem. You all think you got it. God's like, you better come to me. The fact is, we, we would have already slipped and rolled backwards if it weren't for Jesus. And not only that, he can and will even give us a compassion for the souls of people who appear to be living it up. Even those that despise Christ, that hate Christians, that hate marriage, that hate everything that the Bible stands for, think it's a bigoted book, think it's for squares, think it should be gotten rid of, it's outdated. He'll even give us a heart for those that think in that way. And by the way, all that is a rising tide in our land, isn't it? that wants less and less to do with God, get the scriptures out of here, just don't even want to see it, don't want to hear it. And yet, we can go from irritated 
because I get irritated sometimes about these things. Shows up every now and then in my messages. I apologize for that in advance. But um, we can go from irritated to interceding even those that are, because why? They're deceived by Satan. They're blinded by the God of this age. And we were the same way before we came to Christ. And even after Christ, we're wise enough in the scriptures to understand it's only Jesus that keeps us anyway. Not like we have any great thing we bring to the table. And let me speak just for a moment as I kind of wind this down to some of the other burdens that are found in the Psalms and other parts of the scriptures, uh, but not really the central focus of what Asaph was commiserating about. Perhaps you're here today and you feel really weak. I had a visiting missionary once tell it was, and it was right at the time I needed to hear it. I had uh, our assistant pastor, Randy, had died of cancer. I had a lot of things going on at the same time. And I felt like I didn't have an ounce of strength left. And he said to me, and I never forget, he goes, God is attracted to weakness. Yes, he is. That's why it says his strength is made perfect in weakness. Maybe here today you feel really weak. God's attracted to weakness. He is not attracted to, I can do anything because I'm the most amazing person on earth. We've got a lot of politicians that have that mindset. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you're, you're in chronic pain. Maybe it's chronic pain that no one even knows about. You can even tell your family about it. You're in chronic pain. Maybe you have an ongoing illness that no one else knows about. Maybe you're really anxious about your financial situation. Troubled by a fractured relationship, or maybe prodigals, or some deeply uh, area that's got you deeply discouraged. Maybe some area of unanswered prayer. Is God even hearing this prayer? You've almost felt like giving up. You're not the first to feel that way. I can tell you that right now. Did you know many of the saints of old felt that way? I don't know if you've read autobiographies. Some of the missionaries were at their wits end. Some of them had complete nervous breakdowns. Many saints of old have been there. The Apostle Paul was there, and he... I would say he's one of the most closest to Jesus followers the world's ever seen. And he said in 2 Corinthians 1.9, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not, here's that word again, trust in ourselves, but in God that raises the dead. That's, a, that's, a, that's something only God can do, right? Raise the dead. He's like, but... We had, this, we had this sense of death just on us. I think a little bit, remember when the pandemic first started, we all kind of felt something of that just in a little bit uh, collectively because we didn't know what it was. But don't trust yourself or how you're feeling. Even if you feel the shadow of death, you still can't trust yourself. Like what the verse says, says we could not trust ourselves. Paul's like, all my experience didn't matter, all of my intellect didn't matter, I could not trust myself because my feelings could still lie to me. Yes. Yes. Trust in the faithfulness of God. Turn your almost over to the Almighty and he will pull you through and even deepen your faith and deepen peace in your life in the process. But if you don't believe God on that, you'll not see it happen. In the final chapter of Hebrews, it says there in the closing words, uh, the whole final chapter, kind of final remarks, but he says in that final chapter of Hebrews that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. 
And that the God of peace, he goes on to say, will complete us. Because we're all an incomplete work. We're in the process of being completed. Do you believe that? I want to close by speaking directly to anyone, maybe perhaps visiting, maybe watching online here today, that's never put their faith in Christ. Maybe you're doing really well as society would define it, because society has a number of measures of how you're doing well. Matter of fact, I used to learn this. Um, I, I still learn it now, but they, my answer is not near as. Uh, it, it changed the conversation when I tell them I'm a pastor. Just trust me. Uh, it's, it, it, discombobulation sets in, especially when I'm talking to other men. So what do you do for a living? They've, uh, they've just told me how amazing they are and all their career things and all their accomplishments and all everything. They, they ask what I do, and I, I, I pastor a church and teach the Word of God. It's really a game-changing discussion. So, but um, <laughs> It's funny. <laughs> At times, anyway. But... Um, but perhaps you're doing really well as society would define it. Maybe you're not doing well as society would define it. God doesn't care one way or the other in, in some respect. But as the scriptures tell us, it doesn't matter. Life is still a vapor. True? Life is a vapor. It doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or you're a guy homeless on the streets of San Francisco. Life is still a vapor. It was like yesterday. I was in high school. I wake up this morning, 54, and my wife has a birthday this week. We're both in our early 50s now. We're not, we met as teens. We're not teens anymore, and those of you that, John and Cindy, 45 or 50 years and 55, it, it's all telling us that life is short, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But our souls are going to live forever, and Jesus came to save souls. Your soul, if you're willing. Uh-huh. I made that choice in June, 28 years ago this past June, and A.W. Tozer said, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. Because the soul can't save itself. Just like they had to look to the serpent in the wilderness, they had to look up. They had to look to God. We have to look to Christ. And Jesus came for the saving of souls. Maybe you've heard the gospel a number of times. Perhaps you've come close to giving your life and heart to Christ on occasions. Uh, The year that we got saved... June of 1995 there at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Um, the, the, the year prior to that, we had gone to church a bunch of times. And I mean, I bet out of 15, 20 Sundays, I almost got saved. I mean, it was a bunch of times, and I would walk out of there and say, hey, good thing that didn't happen, because i got a really good week coming up here. Uh, some really fun stuff is about, and I, that, I would have missed that gate. But then you'd feel also... Not ready, boy, if something goes wrong, where am I going to spend eternity as well? And we're not alone in that feeling. Um, Two millennia ago, the Apostle Paul uh, was recounting to the Roman ruler Agrippa how Jesus had saved him on the road to Damascus. And we know Damascus is still, that city's still with us today. It's such an amazing thing that the city's still there. You can actually, if those of you that go to Israel with us, when we stand in the Golan Heights, you actually will see the road to Damascus. It's still visible all these years later. And, but he was telling the Roman ruler how uh, God had saved him and Jesus had come to him. And Agrippa, who's listening to Paul give his testimony, which is given three times in the book of Acts, Agrippa had all the wealth, all the success, 
all the life and leisure that Asaph was bemoaning, Agrippa had all of that. He could put his political opponents in jail. He could do this. He could do that. He had all the power. He could take people's life. He could do whatever. He could buy what he wanted. And then Agrippa says to Paul, listening to this, in Acts 26, 28, he says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost is mentioned a lot of times in the Bible. It's sometimes a good thing. It sometimes is not. This is the case where it's not a good thing. He said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. But Agrippa, he could not let go of what he possessed to receive the salvation only Jesus could give. For me and for many, if not most of all of you in here, are almost, that a bunch of almost getting saved, became an all-in when we finally said yes to Jesus, it's why we use the word surrender, right? It takes a long time for people to surrender sometimes. Armies have to realize, ah, we got no more bullets left. We give up. It's, and Jesus had to get us to that point where we realize that we pull out our pockets, we got nothing in there, and we say, all right, Lord, I surrender. That's why we say, I surrender all, I surrender to Christ. So when we finally say yes to Jesus, it's a surrender. That's why we're talking about surrendering our lives to Christ. And we then reject all the lives that were keeping us from Christ. So as I close this morning, I don't know what your almost is. Maybe you almost went back to the sins of your former life recently. Maybe no one even knows. You were holding that bottle in your hand and saying, I'm just going to get drunk like I used to because it feels really good. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe you almost decided to finally sign up for something and serve in a ministry and start serving the Lord, but you still haven't. Pastor Mark was talking about that. Get, get, it, God got you off that couch. That was great. And to serve for many, many years. I appreciated that story a lot. Maybe you almost apologized to someone that God has been telling you for months, you need to go to apologize, and you still haven't. Well, I almost did, but then I didn't. And I put the phone down, and I decided to scroll for two more hours. (laughs) Maybe you have almost surrendered your life to Christ, but you keep saying next time, next time, next month, next year. Whatever your almost is, Jesus wants you to give it to him. Amen? Amen. He wants you to give it to him. He's calling you to give it to him. And so as we close in prayer, and I'm going to have the worship team come up. Again, I, I don't know what your almost is. Some of them are the grace of God. Some of them are the stubbornness of us. And all points in between. But as we just come to a close, if you just bow your heads... I'm not going to make anyone come forward, but if you're here this morning, I want to speak to the second group first. The second group is those that maybe have almost come to Christ but haven't. That was me many a times that, that year before hearing the Lord speak to me. I knew I was lost. I knew I was not ready for eternity. I would have spent eternity in hell. But the Lord was gracious and gave me a bunch of almost opportunities there's even one person here 
I never give my heart and life to Christ, and I don't know if there's anyone out in the fellowship hall too. I see chairs out there, and you want to give your life to Jesus and say, "This is God brought me here for this specific reason." Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's even one person, I don't want to take for granted that everyone here already knows the Lord is their Savior. You may be here and you do not know Jesus. You know who He is, but you've never surrendered your life to Him. You've never asked Him to cleanse you from your sins. And you, you want to do that this morning? Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's even one single person, Jesus leaves a 99 for one. Anyone at all? Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Is there anyone out in the fellowship hall? Maybe say, I, that's not me, but I really do need to re-surrender my life. Re-surrender. I, I, I kind of pick things back up. And you want to re-surrender. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. There's even, I want to re-surrender something. I see that hand. I see those hands. Yeah. Re-surrender. And all of us, Lord, there's just things in my life that I've stopped trusting you on. I want to pray for those things. Lord, we, even when we're abiding in you, Lord, our flesh can be so strong, we can look longingly at the things of this world. And Lord, I just, for each of my brothers and sisters that rose their hand, raised their hand, Lord, you see that area in their life that, uh, that, that you're convicting. You see that area that you're spotlighting, uh, that they have become either weary on or discontent or coveting what is out there, or maybe, Lord, just have just ignored the very good and great salvation that you have given. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, restore and that you would refresh. And, Lord, uh, as the, the Scriptures tell us, that, um, Lord, that you would give us a steadfast heart, a steadfast spirit. Renew that steadfast spirit, Lord. I pray that uh, you would cleanse and forgive each and every sin, Lord, that has been hindering, and Lord, uh, for each of these people that are re-surrendering, Lord, that they would see just an inflow of your peace, of your joy, of your rest. And Lord, just take our eyes off of the things that would actually derail and distract us, and Lord, draw near to you the advocate, the one who's the intercessor of our life in God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close and worship together?